0: Hello and welcome to the Matthew Clark Podcast, episode two, where we sit down with the industry's key figures. Hugh Crichton, winemaker at Fidel Wines, is in London for a few days and we will be talking with him today about his New Zealand wines and his limited availability legacy range, featuring a stunning Chardonnay, Syrah and Cabernet Sauvignon.
1: So Hugh. Uh, Could you give us a little bit of background on uh, Vidal and the history and how you started producing wine?
0: Yeah, sure. So um, Vidal State was established in 1905 by um, Anthony Vidal, who was a Spanish immigrant and a winemaker. He came out in 1888 uh, to help his uncle, who is also a winemaker in New Zealand. Uh, So there's a lot of heritage um, with our company. Uh, One of the four oldest within Hawke's Bay, and Hawke's Bay is one of the four oldest wine regions in um, New Zealand. So that's when we first started, first vintage in 1905, Uh, and then we were overtaken, or not overtaken, I I should have said merged with Villa Maria, uh, and they purchased us in 1976. So we run um, independently as our own winery um, within Hawke's Bay
1: excellent so um the people we've been talking to a lot of the the wineries the winemakers have a philosophy that they like to follow with their the wines when they're producing them
0: uh would
1: you say you've got one and the so,
0: what yeah for sure i mean i think our philosophy is driven largely by the style of wine our vineyards produce and our climate um, but even so within that framework that sort of climatic framework you have as a winemaker got it's quite a strong leeway um, for example when you pick the grapes so for example chardonnay if we picked it at 22 and a half bricks bring it into the winery make it the way we normally make chardonnay uh, and it will come out um with uh, as a wine with freshness of acidity with a flavor profile that might be more citrus grapefruit and we'll come out with relatively low alcohols now let's say that vineyard um, the quality of the fruit stays the same but we decide to pick at two weeks later then we'll make a completely different wine even though we make it the same way so the acidity acidity will be lower the sugar will be lower therefore the alcohol will be lower this flavor um, profile so the sugar will be higher so the alcohol will be higher the flavor profile will be more um, in stone fruit characters as opposed to citrus we can make it exactly the same way but you'll make completely different wines so having a having an idea of the sort of style of wine you're trying to make is critical so for us our style is about freshness so good acidity levels um, it's not about getting the fruit overripe. Um, so moderate alcohols because the sugar's not too high um, and complexity as well so we just don't want it to be about fruit you know we want other things going on so you'll get that from french oak you'll get that from natural ferment um, and you'll get that from time on lees, for example so stylistically we're trying to make elegant but concentrated wines with real personality and texture and uh, i think a lot of that's driven from the time i had personally over in europe over quite a long period of time sort of influence where we're going but fundamentally the the vineyard is the one that drives it. but as a winemaker you've got a, you've got a choice of direction Good, and
1: you mentioned before that you're you're very lucky to be working with George Vistonich, and and he allows you to focus much more on the quality rather than the quantity, so that must have a bearing there too. Mm-hmm. Um, do you want to tell us a bit more about the regions that you work with? Because obviously Marlborough is big for Sauvignon Blanc and, and moving into that with Pinot, but um, you're obviously based in Hawkes Bay. It's a very special area for you.
0: Yeah, so we've so Hawkes Bay for us is all about Chardonnay, Syrah, and the Merlot Cabernet blends, and And I would say in the world of wine, um, Hawke's Bay makes some of the greatest examples without any exaggeration whatsoever. So that's where our local passion lies. Um, Outside of that, as you mentioned, Marlborough, of course, um, has got an incredible following around the world um, for Sauvignon Blanc and Pinot Noir in particular, but also for wrestling and some other varieties. Um, So so Sauvignon Blanc um, for us down there is about um, tropical fruit. Um, not too much acidity. You're always going to have some acidity with Marlborough Sauvignon Blanc. That's just part of the, the game down there, but not too much. They're not too austere, not too mineral. Uh, and I think the wines down there, with the Pinot included, have a real purity and fragrance about them. So there's a real freshness, which comes from the climate. Um, for us, it's just a matter of moderating that acidity, so it's not too high for the consumer. Uh, when they're drinking it. Good,
1: so obviously you, you started off the first 70 or so years as a pretty small business, and you became much part of a much bigger thing when you were uh, bought out by Villa. Um, can you tell us a bit more about the people involved in the winemaking process there?
0: Yeah, so so yeah, being brought out by Villa was um, a really positive move for us, um, um, for several re- uh, reasons. One was Sir George really wanted um, vital to operate independently, um, and not be, I guess, um, mopped up into the, into the bigger parent company from a kind of vineyard or winery point of view. Um, so we are, we are small. There's only four of us in the winery. Um, during vintage, we take on another four or five. Um, so it is, yeah, we've got small vineyard plots. Um, there's a lot of hand work, um, we're not really big and industrial like a lot of other companies. So have got almost a boutique feel about it, but having the benefit of being owned by um, a larger company, I guess, um, who at the helm of that company, Sir George has complete focus on quality regardless of you know what which of the brands it is. Um, but f- by having that sort of support from George, um, it means that we can completely focus on growing grapes and making wine. So, for example, when it comes to auditing or finance or um, health and safety, not you know of course we're very supportive of all the health, health and safety regulations, but they do demand quite a bit of time uh, from you and so if you can sort of in effect outsource that um, to head office uh, and have it looked after people who actually love doing it and are actually quite good at it. Uh, instead of us who don't like it and we're not very good at it, allows us to, you know, focus on what we love, which is growing grapes and making wine. And I think you know, for a lot of companies, sadly, you could be spending you know a quarter of your time doing all that non-wine related stuff. So um, it's a, it's a big positive. And of course, for Sir George, it's all about the quality of the wine. And when we were talking earlier, um, he just has no question that um about you know the quality of what goes into the bottle should be outstanding and if it's not going to be good enough it doesn't go in the bottle sure
1: now it sounds like you've got a great relationship um so on the quality mark because we kind of lead into the next question which uh, just wanted to talk to you about how particularly in 2016 with it being a large quantity vintage you you talked about dropping fruit to maintain the the actual quality of the grapes um, do you want to just talk around that a little bit and then uh, maybe make a comparison between the 16 and 17 and and uh, give us a little heads up on what's happening there?
0: Yeah, so, I mean, there's, there's, there's a lot of generalisations about um, yield and how big a vintage is and how small it is. Uh, I think the important thing to get to the bottom of, to delve into, uh, is what you know what program does the company have or what's your view on yield control so when you have a big vintage um, what people are meaning there was that as they're saying that the vines produce naturally quite a lot of fruit but as a grower um, you've got the opportunity to go through and drop fruit on the ground so the the greedy people and probably the less quality focused companies will choose not to drop fruit on the ground. Now, when you do that and you have large yields coming through, you tend to produce less quality because there's less concentration. You tend to play a bit of Russian roulette with the climate at the end of the growing season because if it cools down quickly and you've got a lot of fruit to ripen, the vine just doesn't ripen them. So whilst 2016 was a much bigger vintage than 2017, All it meant for us was that in 2016 we went through and dropped a lot more fruit on the ground. So um, as I often say, you never want to do that when the financial controller is going to walk through the vineyard because they see all this cash on the ground. But George uh, is pretty clear on yield control and we love it too because we make better wines. So 17 being lower yields naturally just means we we, we could drop less fruit on the ground. But it's all about, I think it's all about um, setting the vine up to be able to ripen the amount of, of fruit and the season will sometimes give you more than what you need so you just have to um, turn a blind eye and um, drop it on the ground
1: Yeah, no, that makes perfect mm. sense So with New Zealand Sauvignon being the real buzzword at the moment it's probably up there with things like Pinot Grigio and Prosecco yeah. in popularity Yeah. Um, do you think this is something that's going to carry on as it is or do you think some people saying that Maybe they're finding New Zealand Sauvignon a little bit too overpowering. It's gonna, it's
0: gonna damage your business. Uh, look, I really think it will continue, and I know there's a lot of people out there in the industry who are questioning that. Um, the style, you know, I mean, wine style always evolves over time, so the style could change. So, you know, if if the wines might become a bit more. Um, a bit more elegant if you like a bit more restrained not so powerful not so you know in your face to want of, for want of a better term but you i guess you just have to be careful and how far you take that because one of the reasons for its success is that people love the concentration they love the intensity of the fruit they love the difference that that wine uh, presents compared to any, any other country in the world that produces Sauvignon Blanc so You've got to be careful, you've got to you've got to listen to the consumer, and if they're still buying it and they're liking it, then you don't want to change too much. You might make, you know, small changes, but I don't know, I, I think, you know, sure there will be people who move on from Sauvignon Blanc and discover new varieties, but it's such a goddamn good drink, I think, you know, it's so flavoursome, it's so aromatic, if you can get the balance right so it's not too acidic, you will always attract new consumers because it is a good drink it's full of flavor and they might move on to try other stuff but you'll always have new consumers coming through so i'm not the pessimist that many are uh, i think it's i think it's here for good good i
1: guess within matthew clark we're seeing a trend at the moment towards um, like italian red so that passamento style so you get a lot of flavor for your money and the new zealand sauvignon can fit into that where you're not paying a huge amount of money, but you are getting a big flavour. So yeah, it kind of fits the market right now. Yeah, yeah. So given that that's your kind of that's your bread and butter, you'd be silly not to make Sauvignon Blanc and maybe Pinot as your as your first red. Yeah. Um What do you see as the future for Chardonnay and Syrup Because I know it's a real passion of yours to, yeah. to have these grapes and yeah uh, do great things with them.
0: Oh uh, look, I'm, I'm hugely excited about both those varieties, and also the Merlot Cabernets that come out of Hawke's Bay, Um, when you look at those wines from a pure quality point of view, um, they're world class, and I don't think there's any question about that, and that's coming through in blind tastings with some pretty smart wines from around the world. So, um, you're right, Sauvignon Blanc is the bread and butter, and has opened a lot of doors around the world for us. Um, Chardonnay Syrah and the Merlot Cabernet blends but particularly the Chardonnay and Syrah we see us sort of turning a lot of heads uh, and that bodes well for the future of those varieties and I think critically as well those varieties can build New Zealand into the even more premium market so seven you know the average bottle the average price of a bottle of New Zealand wine is higher than any other country in the world in the UK, but when, when you bring into the mix um, a bit more of the volume of Chardonnay and Syrah and Bordeaux blends at the higher price points, I think we're only going to take brand New Zealand more into the you know quality arena. Okay. So again,
1: I think the message there is really about the quality and not comparing maybe a New Zealand Chardonnay to an Aussie one, but comparing it to a Burgundy. and. And likewise, the Syrah to, to Rhone blends rather than to yep. Shiraz from down the road.
0: Exactly. So I think, I mean, a good case in point was a, um, a tasting we did in China and Shanghai for 40 wine professionals in May. And there was six Hawks Bay, very good Hawks Bay wines there. And our legacy was there as one of them. And um, the, we put in that blind tasting Opryon, first growth from Bordeaux, that sells for, you know, oodles. Um, we had um, Lynch Barge, which was the second growth. And then we had Clinay and they would taste it at Blind Wine Professionals and they selected their top wine and they selected 13, Legacy, Cab Sav, Merlot. So I think, yeah, comparing it to regions of a similar style is the right way to go. So yeah, Chardonnay, as you said, for Burgundy. um, And Syrah for Northern Rhone. So not too too overripe, not too alcoholic and still good acidity.
1: Good. Okay, so one Mm -hmm. last question just to close off and I promise we won't tell Sir George what you say to this one um i guess you're you're quite happy where you are at the moment doing what you're doing but if you had the opportunity to to go and work in any region in the world with any variety what would you choose
0: oh oh this sounds a little bit corny but to be honest i'd probably stay in Hawkes bay um, and i would probably go um if you know if i could only pick one variety and it's tough because you know every variety has its um, own beauty um and if I could pick if I had to pick one red and one white and I know that wasn't the question but if it was one red and one white I'd go Syrah and Chardonnay but if I could only pick one I'd go 100% Chardonnay and um I think we're only just starting to see um these high quality wines get in the you know in front of some of the great sommeliers of the world and Uh, wine merchants and every time I show the Legacy Chardonnay and even the Reserve, there's almost a shock of shit! wow, this is incredible I didn't believe that New Zealand Chardonnay was like this, so yeah if I couldn't stay in Hawke's Bay, I'd probably end up in Burgundy.
1: It's interesting, I I asked the same question to to Catherine Mello last week and uh, obviously she done a lot of work with Sauvignon Blanc and Pinot Noir in the Loire Valley and she said she wanted to come and work with you guys so, oh wow. All right. Um perhaps a little exchange programme could go on.
0: You know, we're always into that, always yeah. into keeping the keeping the eyes open. Well listen,
1: Hugh, it's been a pleasure. Um that's a wrap for us. So thank
0: you for talking to us and we'll see you again soon. Awesome. It's always a pleasure to be here. And uh if any of you guys end up and you see them, please come and see us in Hawke's Bay and um you'll you'll be able to get my contact information, I can give you a quick look around the winery. Awesome. Thank you very much. Thank you. To find out more about the Fidel range, visit the Matthew Clark website and don't forget to join us next time when we will be talking to Nuno from Quinta dos Mercas.